the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 18th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? This is the starting place for everything that we do as Christians in this life. For how we think about ourselves or how we think about God. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? These are some verses that come from a psalm, Psalm 130. You said them earlier in the intro, and that psalm begins this way. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Out of the depths. It's the psalm of David, who is crying from what he thinks is a completely desolate place. A place from which he cannot save himself. Depths out of which he cannot climb on his own. And those are the depths of the sin that he recognizes in himself. And so he says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If God knew only the half, the quarter, of what sins we commit, if he knew only one single sin that we commit, who could stand? If he were to mark those iniquities, if he were to make a catalog of our sins, if he were to keep track from beginning to end of our lives, who could stand? The catalog, the list would be so long, and the sum would be so great it would be unimaginable. In fact, that's one of the things that's communicated in our gospel lesson this morning. You heard this parable of this fellow who owed his master 10,000 talents, which sounds like a, a, you know, a pretty big sum of money, but not knowing necessarily what a talent is, You really can't imagine how large it was. A talent. A talent was 20 years wages. 20 years wages. So when he owes his master 10,000 talents, it's going to take him 200,000 years to pay that back. Think like $40 billion. This servant who works for his master is in 
dreadful depths. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. And when he comes to his master and he says, be patient with me, master, I will repay what I owe to you, you can begin to see some of his delusion. How could he ever, how could he ever repay what he owes? If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If God kept a catalog of your sins and mine, how could we ever stand? That is our starting place because the next place we go in the Christian church, the next place we go as Christians is directly to the cross of Jesus, in whose wounds and in whose shed blood we see God erasing the debt. In the cross of Jesus, we see him looking past that catalog of sins to the righteousness of Jesus. We see him looking at Jesus who has paid the debt, who can pay the debt, and has done so for you and me. That is the starting place. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? God's kingdom is a kingdom of mercy where he does not mark iniquities because of what Christ has done for you and me. But here's the question that's posed by our gospel lesson this morning. The question is maybe a bit strange. Do you want to live in a kingdom of mercy? Do you want to live in a kingdom of mercy? At first glance, it might seem obvious. Yes, that's a great place to live, in a kingdom of mercy. But then, as the lesson unfolds, you can see some of the possible objections, starting with St. Peter, who came to Jesus asking him, Lord, if someone sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times, he thinks, being pretty generous. Seven times, that sounds pretty good. Maybe there's a limit, he thinks, to mercy. Maybe we should put a period on that sentence at some point, because after all, if I've forgiven him seven times and he still hasn't learned his lesson, maybe he gets what he deserves. Maybe he should have what's coming to him. Maybe that will change his behavior. If he comes to me and he sins seven times and I show him mercy and it doesn't change his pattern of behavior, well, maybe I need to try something new. Maybe I need to punish him for what he's done. This is what Peter is thinking in his mind. But Jesus won't have any of it. He says not seven times, but 70 times 7, which isn't to get you to do math, right? 490 times is a lot, but that's not the point. The point is it's more than you can count. You should keep forgiving him as long as you live and breathe, as long as he comes to you in repentance, as long as he is there to be forgiven. You ought to forgive because you live in a kingdom of mercy. This was startling for Peter and for all the disciples, and it's startling for us. Because after all, the kind of person who shows mercy time and again, who forgives over and over and over again, that's the kind of person who gets taken advantage of. People quickly figure out if you're that kind of a person, and they take advantage of you. They come to you planning, conniving, to take advantage of you, knowing that you're going to forgive them when they apologize. And that's part of the deal. That's part of the deal. That with forgiveness comes suffering. With forgiveness comes hypocrisy. With forgiveness comes the abuse of mercy. That's part of the deal. But the point is this. The goodness of mercy is so great and so valuable for you and me. If you, O oh Lord, should mark iniquities, O oh Lord, who could stand? Why would we want to live anywhere else other than a kingdom of mercy, even if it means that we're taken advantage of? But there is another more sinister reason, I think, why people find themselves not really wanting to live in a kingdom of mercy. And that's because if we live in a kingdom of mercy where forgiveness reigns the day, rules the day, if we live in a kingdom of mercy, then you lose 
your ability to hold the moral high ground. If we have to give up the catalog of sins that we are keeping for other people, if we have to throw away the lists of things that people have done against us, guess what? We can no longer feel superior to them. We can no longer feel like that, uh, that Pharisee standing in the temple saying of the tax collector, thank God I'm not like him. We have to give up the moral high ground. We have to give up our justification for the sins that we commit in retaliation. We say to ourselves, they've done this to me time and time again. If I do this back to them, what's one time? I deserve it. I'm justified in my sins. He said so many terrible things about me. If I say one terrible thing about him, he deserves it. If my brother hits me 20 times, I'm justified in hitting him back one time, letting him show what he deserves for this. If we do not keep a record of sins, if we live in a kingdom of mercy, not cataloging what people have done against us, not listing in our minds and rehearsing that list over and over and over again, which we all do, if we gave that up, we would also be giving up our moral high ground. We would no longer be able to justify ourselves. We would no longer be able to say, look, on the last day, I'm going to be able to stand before God and say, I didn't do any of those things that those people did against me. This is one of the places that hypocrisy can lurk among Christians. Because it is very easy to say with our mouths that we forgive other people, that we're not keeping a record of sins. It's very easy to say that with our mouths. But you know what it's like to keep that record in your mind and in your heart, and although you don't walk up to somebody and throttle them like this servant did in our gospel lesson, you do that in your heart. It's easy to do that, to punish people in our hearts for the sins that they've committed against us. And this is one of the places that hypocrisy lurks. We have to give that up. We have to give that up. Otherwise, we are saying that we do not want to live in a kingdom of mercy. We want to live in a kingdom of justice. How do things fare for you and me when we live in a kingdom of justice? This is, I think, the final point, the final reason that people or we ourselves find ourselves not wanting to live in a kingdom of mercy. And this is what we see in our gospel lesson this morning. What was the matter with that fellow who received such great, such great mercy from his master but then went out and was going to exact this small debt from his fellow servant? What was the matter with him? It wasn't so much that he thought he was better than everybody else. And it wasn't so much that he had extended mercy to this guy for a little while and it was time for the debt to be paid. It was this. It was that although his master settled that debt, forgave that debt for him, that massive debt that he could never have repaid on his own, he didn't think that he needed mercy. He didn't think that he needed to be forgiven. You heard it in his response to the master. I will pay this back. I can do it. This is manageable. I don't really need your mercy. But if you want to give it to me, that's wonderful. That's fine. Thank you. But I didn't need it your help. It's that kind of attitude that leads this fellow to go out then and try to get his debt paid from his fellow servant. He does not think that he needs mercy. That's the turning point for the parable, and that is the turning point for you and me as well. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? None of us, none of us can repay the debt that we owe to God. All of us need more mercy than we can imagine. And if that is the case, then we ought to desire, to yearn, to live in a kingdom of mercy. And so also, we ought to forgive those who sin against us. Knowing how much we've been forgiven, so also we ought to forgive those who sin against us. Jesus has some dreadfully harsh words for those who refuse to forgive. You heard it at the very end of our lesson. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you 
If you do not forgive your brother from your heart, so also my heavenly Father will do, throwing them into prison and demanding that every last bit be repaid, so also will he do to you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This sounds unimaginable. How could any of us stand? How can any of us do this? How can I give up the debts that I want to hold over other people's heads? How can I forgive them? How can I possibly do that? If that's what you're thinking in your mind right now, then now is the time for repentance because Jesus says, give it up. Forgive your brothers and sisters. Forgive those who have sinned against you. Why? If only for this reason, so that you can pray the Lord's Prayer in good conscience. We get to that petition in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses. How? As we forgive those who trespass against us. You cannot pray that prayer if you refuse to forgive those who have sinned against you. And so we ought to repent. And ask the question this morning, this crucial question. How can you and I learn to forgive? How can you and I learn to forgive? It's very simple. It involves always, always, always returning to the basics, to this starting place. If you, O Lord, kept a record of, if you, O Lord, marked iniquities, who could stand? If God did not forgive our sins, If God did not show great mercy to you and I, then we would have no life, no hope. We would stand here in depths of woe out of which we cannot recover, from which we cannot save ourselves. That is the starting place. That is why every day in baptism we return again to what Christ has done for us in the water and the word, drowning the old Adam who needs to be drowned, who needs to be put to death, not just jostled around a little bit, not just shoved around a little bit, but killed. That old Adam must be killed so that we can be rescued from the depths of woe. We return daily by contrition and repentance, recognizing how much we have been forgiven. That is why we come to church, to hear of God's great mercy, to look into our hearts and to see what desperate need we have for forgiveness, and then to receive more forgiveness than we ever could have hoped for. We learn to forgive by cataloging our own sins. (laughs) By cataloging our own sins and not cataloging the sins of others. By looking at our own hearts and not the hearts of others. We learn to forgive by recognizing that for every sin that's committed against me, I have committed ten, hundred, a thousand more grievous. For every sin that I hold in my heart that someone has committed against me, I have done far worse and incapable of far worse. We learn to forgive by looking at our hearts and receiving, receiving our justification from God. Not looking to be better than other people by counting their sins against them, but looking to be gloried, glorified by God and what he has done for us. Receive your glory from God. Receive your glory from him. You do not need to compare yourself to another person. You do not need to hold anything against another person because you have received everything. You have received everything from God himself. You have received all glory and honor from him through Christ Jesus. There is no need, there is no goodness that can come from demanding that someone pay you for what they've done, from holding someone's sins against them. And recognize also this, that the forgiveness with which you forgive other people, when you forgive other people, it is not your own forgiveness that you are dispensing. It's not coming from some wonderful place inside of your heart as though you're a great person who is capable of doing something wonderful. But when you forgive other people, you are dispensing Christ's forgiveness. You are giving them what he has given to you, which is yours to share. 
And it is a beautiful thing because by showing mercy to the people that are around you in your life, your friends and your family, those who have sinned against you, those who are closest to you, whose sins to you are most grievous, when you forgive them, you are showing them what life in a kingdom of mercy can look like. You are showing them the light of the gospel. You are inviting them home as well. You are bringing them Christ. So take heart. Be courageous. Look at your hearts and examine them and see what is in them. See what great things God has done for you. And then go boldly forward, forgiving those who have sinned against you, knowing that you have the riches of a master who can, with the blink of an eye, with the blink of an eye, erase that debt. So also can he do for those who sinned against you. To him be all glory and honor, now and forever. Amen. Amen.